As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Yo, I'm comfortable talking to Mark Alford. He don't make me feel like I gotta kneel at a dark altar. His colleagues are cool, things are jolly and smooth. Anything else, it'll be part stupid and part awkward. Dave Moore is the general manager of the Kansas City Royals. The team won the World Series back in 2015. Now Dayton is building another championship team, but more importantly, trying to build character in the players. I got comfortable with Dayton on the plaza in Kansas City to find out how he's doing both. Well, Dayton, it's good to meet you. Nice to meet you, Mark. I haven't really gotten to know you. How long have you been here? You know what? We came here in June of 2006, and so Marianne and the kids um, transitioned completely in, in July of 2006, and uh, so it's been a been a great journey, fun ride. Years. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Where were you fun. before this? Yeah, I was with the Braves. You know, I was with. We lived in Atlanta. Um, that's culture shock moving from Atlanta to here. You know, similar, bit. really. Really. Um, very, very similar cultures. Great people. Um, enjoyed it. You know, we, we've been blessed to live in a lot of different places, and you know, we, you know we've enjoyed every place we've lived. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, every community, uh, every city, every town. I find has its its own advantages, its own unique culture, if you will. Um, but. Kansas what, City special. What makes Kansas City different? Because it is a little bit different. It is. It's number one. It's easy. I mean, it's easy to get around. Yeah. Because um, if you had come from where you were today, speaking over here, it would have taken an hour and yeah. a half in Atlanta, yeah. right? It would have. You, you wouldn't even attempted it. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't even put yourself through the aggravation. Um, but you know what we found is just. Uh, of course, I was born in Wichita, and moved all over. But my parents were. Uh, all grew up in uh, western Kansas and so I knew the Midwestern culture and mm-hmm. and um, the toughness the resiliency of of this group of people if you will and um, but I think what makes it special is just um, people are very forgiving they are um, very engaging uh, very transparent and I think there's a lot of freedom and transparency mm. and when you deal with people and you can develop relationships at, uh, at a much deeper and meaningful level when there is transparency. And so you may not like it as a general manager, what they're about to tell you or the, the feeling that they have or their expression for the team or, or their opinion of the team. But at the end of the day, it's all good. Mm. Who's your best friend? Well, my wife. <laughs> good answer. Yeah, yeah. No, that is. Yeah, How long have you been married? We've been married a little over 25 years. Wow. Yeah. Where'd you meet her? I met Mary Ann. Um, Thank you. My parents actually moved in across the street from her family mm-hmm. back in uh, 1980, uh, 86. Actually, uh, actually, it was the fall of 85. I first joined, the, I first came, went to that home in Virginia in 86, in the spring of 86, actually met her in the summer of 88. 
so it's kind of a God thing. How long did you date before you? We dated uh, really for five years, but we really didn't get serious until the last two years because it was a long distance relationship. I was away playing baseball, uh, you know, different parts of the country, uh, Ohio, Kansas, um, then ended up going to George Mason University in Virginia. Well, Marianne was attending Radford University in Southwest Virginia and uh, four hours apart, but you know, nonetheless, we were able to connect, and then so. And that was before social media or yeah, cell phones. You, you talk once a week, <laughs> right? You talk and once a week. write letters. Yeah, you write letters, you talk once a week, and uh, save, your, save your nickels for uh, the yeah. phone bill, you know, so. So tell me about your early days uh, playing baseball. Did you have family that was involved in baseball? What was your inspiration? You know, <clears throat> My mother and grandmother really introduced me to baseball. They were they were big big fans. Uh, my father worked a lot. Uh, he was supportive uh, of me wanting to pursue a career in baseball, and certainly wanted to play as long as I could. And was fortunate to play through college, finishing up at George Mason University, and. Um, signed with an independent pro team, was released out of there, and then began my coaching career. And I was fortunate that Billy Brown, who was the head coach at George Mason, invited me to be a part of his coaching staff. How big of a transition was that going from playing to coaching? It wasn't that big of a transition Different for me. Different mindset? No, it really wasn't because I knew probably in my early 20s uh, when I still had eligibility left to, to play and knew I was going to still continue to play collegiately, that I wanted to coach someday. So every organization or team that recruited me, one of the the things that I would always plant the seed, one of the discussions that we would have is say, look, you know what? Uh, when I'm done playing, I want to coach. And oh. so consider me to be a part of your coaching staff someday. So that was, that was a focus of mine. Hmm. Um, so it was natural for me to transition into coaching. That's what I wanted to do. And in fact, the first two opportunities I had to be a scout, one with the Minnesota Twins, one with the Seattle Mariners, I turned it down uh, because I couldn't see myself not coaching. And then the Braves called. I uh, initially turned them down as well. Why? Um, well, because again, I was focused. I wanted to coach. That's what I wanted to do. But ultimately, I decided that I would scout, and I was going to do it for four years and get back into college coaching, and because uh, I wanted to learn that side of the game. I wanted to go deeper uh, in the evaluation part of it. I wanted to develop those skills and those characteristics. Evaluation, as you know, is really, really important. So I wanted to refine those skills. Scouting would give me the best opportunity to do that. Uh, but again, I was going to transition back into coaching. And then one thing led to another. Uh, the Braves asked me to come down to Atlanta and to be the assistant director of scouting. Uh, we decided to do that primarily because it was best for our family. Uh, we had at Ashley, our oldest. Ashley was eight months old. Uh, we were living in the Washington, D.C. area at the time. It requires two incomes. Mary Ann did not want to work outside the home. She wanted to stay home with Ashley. We had made an advanced decision to do that prior to marriage um, when we decided to have children. That was just our choice. Mm -hmm. But we couldn't afford to do that. Moving to Atlanta, that opportunity, uh, one income, different housing market, uh, allowed us uh, to have Mary Ann stay home with Ashley. And so we began to raise our family in Atlanta. What did you like about Atlanta? Well, the weather, the springs, <laughs> the springs are long, the falls are long. It was a great group of people, great sense of community. Southerners. Yeah, yeah. you know, and um, um, we, 
we, we really enjoyed it. Um, very, uh, the people very hospitable. Um, certainly, the traffic wasn't as bad when we moved down there in, um, in August of 96. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but we really enjoyed it. The people, and, and I loved working with the Braves, had a great group of people. I, our families all interacted well together. I knew all of our players. Truthfully, never thought we would leave Atlanta. So when did you get the call for Kansas City? See, John Sherholtz invited me to lunch, uh, as he often would do, in May of 2006. And, um, but as we began the conversation, actually at the CNN Center uh, at one of the restaurants, uh, he, he indicated that the, the Royals were interested in hiring me as their general manager and that Dan and Dave Glass um, were willing to fly to Atlanta and, uh, and meet with me about this opportunity. He encouraged me to do it. Um, the Royals were my boyhood team. Um, so I, I decided to, to meet with him. And I, and I really didn't think I would take the job, but I was interested in that opportunity and just to really see what it was all about. Did you like uh, the Glass family? I did. You know, one thing I noticed about Mr. Glass, it was very apparent, was he was somewhat broken. He was embarrassed. The team yeah. was losing. He was frustrated. I mean, this is one of the most successful businessmen in the history of our country. He ran Walmart for all those years. I believe he started uh, running Walmart in 1978. Wow. Um, and helped guide and, and lead that company to one of the greatest companies that, there, that the world has ever seen. And so, but the baseball part of it wasn't going very well and so I could see that he was really open to change and and wanted leadership and was going to give us um, you know full autonomy to do what we needed to do to, to ultimately what did he tell you in that interview he just said that what he said he said the Kansas City fans uh, deserve winning baseball here and we have failed them and so we want to build a model organization in baseball. You know, the Royals were a model organization back right. in the 70s and 80s, but it simply wasn't the case. The economics of the game have changed. Uh, we all know, we recognize it was harder to build a team uh, during this era. Uh, but he wanted a model franchise and was willing to support whatever we felt was necessary. So that was intriguing to me. Did he um, immediately offer you the job, or how, how did that he did. happen? He did. Um, and then it took about probably about 10 days for us to kind of filter through it, pray through it, um, decide if it was the, the right thing you know, for our family. Um, the Braves had, had wanted us to remain there and be a part of their future as well. Did they counter, try to get you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was some of that. Stay. And it was all good. It was all done with the right spirit. Um, so it, it just... Um, it was it was time to go. It was time to go. So you get here, and it's the organization is I wouldn't say a mess, but it wasn't what you have made it into. What was the first thing you noticed you needed to do? Well, we we needed to believe. We needed to believe that we could win here in Kansas City, and so we, we've always understood that you know your, your leaders are the ones shaping your culture. Uh, the priorities and and the, and the passions of the leaders are so important if you're going to guide success, and so that was going to be very important for us. Um, most people didn't think we could win, Mark. Our own fans didn't think we could win. People, Attendance was down. Yeah, I mean, people and people in the in the industry, 
people that I sought counsel with, they, they felt that this was a professional graveyard. They didn't feel you could win in Kansas City. It's one of the smallest markets in all of sports. Again, the economics of baseball had changed. They felt confident that we would build a farm system, but they didn't feel that we would be given the necessary time uh, to see it through. If you don't win in professional sports over a five, six year period, and we knew that we weren't gonna be able to do that mm -hmm. here with how Mr. Glass was asking us to do it, to build it from the ground up, um, you very rarely, very seldom get that opportunity to see it through. You build it to a certain level, and then someone else comes in and reaps the benefits. I mean, we look at the Houston Astros who just won the World right. Series. Well, you know, Ed Wade and Bobby Heck, Ed Wade was the GM, Bobby Heck was a scouting director, and others had built a terrific farm system. Altuve was already in the system, Springer was already in the system, Keuchel was already in the system, and others. Well, they made a change. Jeff Lunau comes in as the GM, has done a great job, uh, but his leadership team had re, you know, kind of reaped the benefits of, hmm. of some of that talent, which is, which is part of it. It happens. It's, that's not uncommon. In but you game. got to harvest the crop. We did. We did. That must have been uh, kind of rewarding for those people who have told you it wasn't going to work. What did you, did you call some of those people? Not to gloat, but... <laughs> no, you know, one, one of the things that, you know, we talked a lot about early on was, look, there's a process here. You got to trust the process. It takes time. Well, everywhere we would go in Kansas City and throughout our community, I'd always talk about, hey, you got to just trust the process. Well, we began to get mocked for that, mm -hmm. right? And it became kind of a, a punchline with our, our local media and yeah, we just trust the process, right. it'll be okay. There's always next year. Right, well Majestic came to us in 2014 when we made the playoffs and said, hey look, we want to create t-shirts. Hmm. Trust the process. Trust the process. And kind of throw it in the face and I said, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. You know, we're <laughs> not, not going to have any of that. And you know, the, the truth of the matter is, Mark, I mean, we were successful here in Kansas City because the patient, the patience of Mr. Glass and the great uh, support of our fans. I mean, we, we understood that all of our success is tied together. This team, we can't be successful here in this community unless our fans are very forgiving, uh, very supportive, very faithful, and, and they've been that from the very beginning. They haven't always agreed uh, with the decisions that we've made, um, but we've always tried to engage them in a transparent way, uh, to be honest and, uh, and communicate with them in a way where I think they you know, said, we may not agree with the decision, but we, we trust this group of people. Maybe, you know, we like this group of people. And uh, so I think we've been given a little more favor and uh, leniency uh, and grace, if you will, because of that. What makes a good baseball player? Not just uh, on the field. Oh, it's simple to me. I mean, you got to be really, really passionate and love this game, and you've, you've got to understand the importance of being a great teammate. And so the players that are most successful, um, they're good brothers. They're good sons. Uh, they desire to be a great husbands and great fathers someday. Therefore, because of that mindset that has been uh, instilled in them, they can become really good teammates. And so when you live in a culture, uh, in society where it says, get all you can while you can, it's all about you, um, you've got a very small window of opportunity, 
you know, we, we develop that mindset in our young people. I mean, that's kind of the message that we send is that, you know, you, you, you got to get all you can while you can, right? And so it's, it, it really um, creates, um, it's all about me mindset. Well, to be successful in baseball, you got to be the opposite. It's got to be about everybody else. You got to be able to put everybody else's needs, wants, and desires first, your own needs, wants, desires second. You got to be selfless. That's how you win over 162 games. How do you get guys to do that, though, in this age? Well, where do you find them? It, it, it starts. Or you develop that. Well, you, I think it's part of both. I mean, I think they have to have the, that, that seed, hopefully, has been implanted. You know, with, with young players and young, with, with the guys that we take out of the draft, the first question we ask is who are your role models? Hmm. Who do you pattern your life after? And so we hope, like the heck, they say their dad. Hope they have that strong male leadership in their lives. We know that's not always the case. So maybe it's a coach, maybe it's a brother. Maybe it's an uncle or a teammate. And then why do you uh, aspire to be like this person? Why is this person your hero? And so where our game, the game of baseball, takes a lot of discipline, a lot of perseverance. I mean, you don't go right from the college ranks to the NFL or the NBA. You go out of high school or college to the minor leagues. It's three, three and a half years of playing every single day at the minor league level, learning to manage failure, your setbacks, and to you build on your successes. I mean, oftentimes a player will have a lot of success and they stall because they don't use that success as a platform to springboard them onto the next challenge, if you will. So, How do you do that? Well, for it, it comes back to that love and that passion to, to compete and to play. And so th there's got to be an urgency, in my opinion. There's got to be an urgency in your life to give your best each and every day. So we have one life to live. There are no second chances. There are very few people that get do-overs. I mean, it just doesn't happen. We got one chance at this. And so you want to make sure that the players you bring into your organization, the people that you decide to do life with, understand that. I mean, there is, there's, we get one shot at this. Mm. And so I've never, ever wanted to look back, as I'm sure you can attest to this, you never want to look back in your life with any regrets, right? right? You, you want to say, I, I, I gave it all. I was the best husband I could be. I was the best father that I could be. I was the best brother. I was uh, the best uh, uh, journalist. I was the best uh, baseball person, whatever it is, the best teacher, um, wh whatever it is. And so I, I think those that understand that there's an urgency to what you do, every decision that you make matters. It's important. Um, nothing happens by chance in, in my belief system. Uh, and I believe that everybody's success is tied together. And if you don't believe that everybody's success is tied together, then you begin to um, develop a self-centered mindset, okay? Uh, you've heard of an inferiority complex, right. okay? Well, there's also a superiority complex, mm -hmm. okay? So those people that think that their opinion's the only one that matters, that they've got the best idea all the time, it doesn't work without them, well, it's it's hard to to win as a team. It's hard to have a successful family, a successful thriving unit community, if you have a group of people that think it's all about them. No, it's about us. It's about we. But you get some players who 
you probably see that raw possibility in them to have a selfless attitude but it doesn't always turn out that way you know mark i think that one of the things that i've seen in 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 leadership is unfortunately um, some leaders today it's way too common um, use people for their own benefit well that's leadership is about it begins and ends with putting others first okay but unfortunately we have um, some leaders uh, in, in our country in this world that think that other people exist f to um, propel them or to help them in leadership and so that gets transferred down to some of our young athletes some of our, our our young students and so they develop a mindset well maybe it is about me because with the leaders the people that I looked up to it was it was clearly about them and they were using me for their benefit and so we, we create this dysfunction if you will so in, in teaching and in coaching in my opinion you get player one and player 30 are all the same they're all the same mm -hmm. and it's hard to treat player 30 like you do player one and so many people in in, in coaching and and teaching they want to saddle up next to that top student or that top athlete and kind of ride their coattails if you will mm -hmm. but those guys really don't need us it's the it's the it's the student or the player that maybe hasn't had those uh, proper influences in their life who have been disadvantaged who have uh, been neglected in some aspect but been given a, a tougher hand to play if you will that's the difference you make as a coach and a teacher in, the, in their lives and coming alongside of them and help propping them up. The, the gifted player, the gifted student, they don't need us as much. And in a lot of ways, you're almost like a dad, especially some of the, uh, the players from, who aren't from this country and maybe don't have family here, have connections and roots. Uh, tell me about that. How, how do you influence them beyond what goes on the field? Well, the first thing you got to do is you've got to set the example. I mean, you've got to lead yourself well. You got to walk the walk, and uh, and be that important example. Okay, so if I'm not if I'm not committed to my wife, the most important team I have is my team at home. It begins with my marriage. I mean, that's not going to bode well for my leadership. It just simply is not. And so if we talk about family and about the royals being a family, and we don't take care of our families at home, do we really understand what family is about? And uh, <clears throat> But there, there's two things I've learned in, in this leadership journey here in Kansas City. Okay, there's two things I've learned. I've learned a lot, but the two things that, that stick with me on a daily basis that hopefully are a part of my DNA today uh, is you got to forgive constantly. It's a daily intentional way of living you got to forgive daily because somebody is is saying something about you they may be writing something about you they're looking at you with a critical spirit and I've got to learn to give that away I can't allow that that criticism uh, that negativity uh, infect me and make me mm -hmm. bitter uh, burn me out do you listen to that 
initially um, or yeah you hear it of course yeah. you do of course you do and uh, but I've learned that people are looking at you one of two ways critical spirit or critical eye if they're looking at me with a critical eye we can probably have a, 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 an in-depth debate and find common ground in fact that person can help me uncover a blind spot that right. maybe I have if they're looking at me with a critical spirit I probably can't do anything to please them anyway I mean, whatever I say, they're going to say the opposite. They're going to be overly, highly critical. I mean, as I heard once, um, a, a, a teacher told me that, you know, hurting people try to hurt people. And we, we find that over time. I mean, people kind of, uh, if, if they're hurting, they want you to hurt with them, mm -hmm. if you will. And so I've learned just to kind of give that way. So daily forgiveness is a big part of that. My faith commands that I do that. And then the second thing that I've learned in leadership is it's so important just to delight in the people you're with. Wherever you are, make it the best place that you've ever been. And so, yeah, my family is the most important thing to me on this earth. But right now, the most important thing in my life needs to be you because we're having this conversation. And so I'm, I believe I'm supposed to be here, hmm. setting with you. And so I think in, in leadership, those two things have been really crucial to me. Forgive every day and delight uh, with, with who you're with and where you are. Hmm. I wanna go back to one thing you said, you were talking about your faith. Um, you've never been ashamed of your faith, but you're not a proselytizer either. Tell me about your faith. Well, I'm a follower of Jesus. And um, you know, that's always been very important to me. I, I gave my life to the Lord when I was in Sunday school and in third grade. I really didn't know what that meant. Mm -hmm. uh, it became more real to me when I was 19, away from home for the first time, um, faced with you know, different, I guess, uh, obstacles and challenges um, uh, personally and more freedom, if you will. And so as I began to make a lot of mistakes, you know, for example, I was, <clears throat> I was speaking at Lansing Correctional Facility a little over a year ago before Thanksgiving, and I was walking from one end of the courtyard to the other to make a presentation. And I realized that the only difference between me and some of these men that are incarcerated yeah. is they got caught. <laughs> Right, so I be, I've been behind. That could a, be any of yeah, this, really. Yeah. I, I've been behind a wheel of a car where I've had too much to drink. Mm. Um, as a young person, with some of my teammates, we went into a, a convenience store, if you will, and the gal behind the desk said, "Hey, take whatever you want," and we kind of took whatever we wanted. Well, that's stealing. Yeah. Okay, we could have went to jail for that and should have, right? So. Um, I try, I try not to judge another person. My faith uh, tells me that I'm not to judge another person. I try to look at, I've learned that I've, try, I've tried to look at life through other people's eyes and, and sit in their shoes. I simply cannot, it's hard to do that. I can only look at life through my own eyes, truthfully. And so because of that, uh, I have my own marinade, how I grew up, but I'm not gonna judge another person. Uh, my faith, the Gospels, the Gospels tell us we're not to judge others. The Gospels tell us we're to serve others. And I, and I think that that uh, uh, bodes well for uh, my philosophy of, uh, of coaching and teaching and, and being a general manager of a baseball team and, and being um, a husband and a father. Did you grow up in a religious household? Do parents have a relationship? I wouldn't say it was... Um, to a, a level that I that I think was really impactful. 
okay? My, my family acknowledged God. Uh, we celebrated the holidays. You know, Christmas was a big deal. Right. Easter was a big deal. Uh, my parents had us in Sunday school. Uh, we didn't attend church on a regular basis as a family. Uh, my father uh, was stricken with cancer when I was in my early 20s. That's the time in our lives where our faith became more real to us as that burden was on our family. Uh, my mother really didn't have a relationship uh, with the Lord until about a year and a half before she died of cancer almost nine years ago. Um, but looking back on it, reflecting back, tracing uh, those experiences back, uh, God had a plan for all of it. I wouldn't change any of it. Um, and God was working His His magic in our lives. He was working the Holy Spirit in our lives, and um, you know it, it all turned out okay. Hmm. How do you um, how do you pass that on to the players in a limited way, but also an impactful way? Peer to peer mentoring is really the most important part of our leadership in our game okay so again as a general manager the manager the ownership our coaches our instructors you know we kind of we can we, we can kind of shape the culture a little bit but we can't grow the environment the players are the ones that ultimately have to do that um, it, it's very important that we we, we hire uh, good leaders people that are again shaping the culture but we got to make sure that we we're bringing the right players in our organization who can um, uh, mentor other players. And so when I look at our team, you know, in 2014 was really the, the year that we we obviously made it on the, the world stage. Mm -hmm. Well, Royal Banez was a huge part of that. A player whose career was clearly on the downside. He was not as productive as he was in his early years. In fact, most people would say that he was washed up. He wasn't a productive player at all. But who he was as a man, what he was to uh, that or, or to our team, the glue, if you will, a pillar in mm. our clubhouse, uh, brief confidence, brought truth, brought wisdom, uh, was intentional about being relational with the, the right players to keep him focused day in and day out. Raul has a, a strong faith walk. Uh, he professes uh, God. He professes Jesus as a part of his life. And so th that, that putting others first mentality that the Gospels are about, Raul brought that to our team. And so that was a big part of it. Ultimately, Mark, the players are the ones that are, are influencing each other. I mean, that peer-to-peer -peer mentoring is so crucial. Who's the biggest influencer right now on the team? To me, Alex Gordon, because Alex's example and um, how he lives his life, uh, the husband he is uh, to Jamie, and uh, the father he is uh, to his to his children. He's a great son. Um, he's always honoring his mother and his father. He works extremely hard. You know, Alex was a player that I think really kind of defined our focus in the sense that he broke into the organization in 2007, or broke into the major league level. He was gonna be the savior of the franchise, right? Mm -hmm. He's gonna be the next George Brett. His career didn't go to script like that. <clears throat> he had a lot of failure, was sent down to the minor leagues. Uh, fans were starting to boo him. A lot of people didn't feel he'd ever make it back to the major I leagues with that, the Royals. Yeah. Um, a lot of people felt we should have just traded him. They thought he was a bust. 
Well, Alex, he didn't complain. He didn't make excuses. We asked him to change positions. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of times players don't take that very well, especially when you got another player. Uh, in this case, it was Mike Moustakas who was going to take his place. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we conveyed that to Alex. I mean, he didn't complain. He just went to work. He did his job. He didn't stay wounded. He didn't let uh, the past failures influence what he was wanting to accomplish in the future. And uh, really, I think, kind of defines, uh, you know, who we are and, and, and what we want to continue to be. Just a tough, consistent, resilient group of players and people that, uh, that manage setbacks, deal with failure, do not get stranded in our past and let our past beat us up. Just move on, stay positive, and know that our, the future is the most important part of our lives. Let's talk about the future. This uh, season, uh, spring training started, uh, well, in a couple of weeks, I guess, for pitchers and catchers. And uh, w Once you win a World Series, how difficult is it to come back and win again and, and, fans, and keep fans satisfied? You know, that's it's interesting because, you know, we, we had a parade, 800,000 people showed up to a parade, unbelievable day. There was nothing we could even imagine or envisioned. I was there. Uh, I was wearing blue. That was yeah, the guy. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I saw you. <clears throat> so anyway, w one of the things that was really um, eye-opening to me, so we're, we're on the parade or we're, on the, we're, we're, we're going through the, the city and every once in a while you come to a stop. But when you come to a stop, you know, most, the overwhelming majority of fans, you know, they're very appreciative, they're, they're so thankful, and they're filled with joy. And then all of a sudden they start chanting, bring back Gordon, hmm. bring back Zobrist, you know, and they start just, the whole group erupts <laughs> into this chant, right? And so, and I know they, they mean it in a good way, but it speaks to, you know, you're not going to satisfy them. It's right. never going to be enough, right? It's never going to be enough. And, uh, and, and that's okay. Um, we put really high expectations on what we do, um, but what, but also what we do is, is much bigger than baseball. I mean, winning championships is what the world says you need to do. Uh, and the truth of the matter is, we're really just focused, laser type focused, on on doing it right, day in and day out, providing an opportunity for our people to grow and to work an environment where they want to work, an opportunity for our players to grow into men and reach their ceiling as baseball players, and hopefully, they go back to their own communities whenever their careers are done, whatever level. And let's face it, eight. 5% of the players that we bring in to, to the organization do not make it to the major leagues, but they're all going to go back to their communities. 85%? Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's a minor miracle to play in the major leagues. Huh. A lot has to go right, okay, which, which leads me down a trail of youth sports today and what it really ought to be about, but that's a topic for another day. Um, but they're all, those 85%, they're all going to go back to their communities. Hopefully they maintain a love and a passion for baseball where they can teach it in their community, develop relationships with their own son or daughters mm -hmm. centered around baseball and enjoying a game and, and using the, the, the leadership lessons that they uh, learn in a game to further their lives and to grow them as leaders and, and certainly teach the game of baseball and, and to, to spread the seed 
of uh, of this game and what it meant to be a part of the Kansas City Royals. So that's that's really our objective. That's really our mission, and that's why we're so excited about what we're doing with the Urban Youth Academy. You know, off of 18th and Vine, right. that's that's opening up. I mean, that's as proud. We're we're as proud as that as anything we've ever accomplished, and and it's going to mean so much to in our minds to so many young families in Kansas City. I believe it'll bridge the gap between the urban and the suburban and rural parts of Kansas City. That's our hope. That's our dream. That's our vision for that facility. And so, but again, what we do is so much, so much bigger than, than baseball. But how do you manage those expectations? Mm-hmm. You, you just simply do it the way we've been doing it. And um, you're, you're transparent, you're honest with your fans, where you are in the building process, where you are with your team. You don't sugarcoat anything. You, you tell it like it is. Um, so where are we now? Is it a, back to being a process? Well, it's, it, I, it, there's, it's always a process, yeah. okay? But let me say this, we're never gonna get so attached to the outcome, winning a World Series, that we neglect and lose our focus on the day-to-day process. I mean, you've got to be laser focused, as I said, on what you have to try to accomplish each and every day. If you're trying to develop leaders, you've got to constantly be looking for the warning signs. Okay, what are the things that are going on in this person or this player or this group of players or this staff member's life that uh, are, are staring at you and signaling that there are issues, uh, there are things that need to be resolved, there are solutions that you need to, to have to to solve certain issues. You're talking about their personal lives. Yeah, you're talking about their Intimate personal details. lives. Yeah, they're, they're, they're there. Those signs are there. And we've, we've got to get out of our own way um, to, to notice those things, if you mm. will. So I, I go back to Giordano Ventura, right? So it's been almost a year since Giordano passed away. We had so many signs with Giordano leading from spring training of, of um, 2016 and, and what unfolded. Um, what it, kind of signs? Well, just whether it just be withdrawal, uh, body language, didn't have the same smile. Hmm. Uh, con- was he depressed? Yeah, con- I don't know about that, but you know, con- conf- conflict with um, his wife at the time. Uh, they're going through struggles, um, just showing up late at times, uh, short with his teammates. I mean, just a lot of different mm-hmm. things. And so, as we tried to address those things, and we got some pushback. But we, you know, we, but if I, if I could do it all over again, maybe I should have demanded that he come live in the states. Mm. Maybe, maybe I should have demanded that. Would he have done it? I don't know. We offered it, but maybe we should have said, "Listen, doggone it, this is what you're going to do." Right. Now he still has um, veto power on that. We can't make him do that. But, but that would have been tough love. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, but there's. There's always things that um, you have to be intentional. I mean, if you're if you're going to do this job and do this job well, it takes 100% commitment, great focus each and every day. Um, if, if you're going to do it right, how much of it is trying to provide a daily experience for the people who pay the tickets to go out there? The show mm-hmm. aspect of it. Well, I know Kevin Ulick and you know the business side of what we do. You know, want to make sure it's a it's a great uh, experience for families <clears throat> at the ballpark. Whether it be the outfield experience, right. different promotions that we have, that, that's certainly all a huge part of it. But from my end of it, on the baseball side of it, we remind our players constantly. 
from when they join our organization, we remind it to them uh, year in and year out when they come to spring training, that your job is to connect with the fans. Your job is to inspire mm -hmm. young boys and young girls to play baseball, to play softball, to, to, to watch you play and say, boy, this guy's having so much fun out there. He's giving his best effort. He's playing with all this passion. I want to play this game. And that's ultimately how we grow it. And so when I met with our team in um, October, on October 15th of, um, of 2014, after we just won eight straight games to go to the World Series, first time in 29 years, what I told them was, I said, look boys, I said, congratulations. Congratulations on going to the World Series. But what I'm most proud of is you guys did it the right way. You inspired our fans, to enjoy this game of baseball. You've grown a new generation of Royals fans mm -hmm. because of the way you played. You understood that somebody sat in these lockers long before you. You appreciated their sacrifice for you in this game. You followed the example that they set. And now you guys are setting the example for somebody mm -hmm. else. That's what I was most proud of with that group of players. And so that's what we're always doing. We're trying to do our job so well and with such passion and energy and, and transparency, you know, when we mess up, just honest reflection, deep, honest reflection on everything that we do, but we want to do it with such passion and such desire that we inspire other people to want to do this. And so that's, I think that's our professional yeah. obligation. Had a bit of that recently with Duffy and his DUI. We have, yeah. yeah. I mean that. You How know, did that, you handle that? Well, first of all, you you, you deal with it um, up front. You you don't run from it. Mm -hmm. uh, you you don't fool the man in the mirror. You got to have uh, self evaluation is really really important. Without that, it's impossible to change. The, the other thing that you know I reminded Danny during that process is I said, look, I'm not judging you. I've made those mistakes before as well. In fact, I said it in a press conference that I've made that mistake as well. I didn't get caught. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't make me better than you because I didn't get caught and you did, okay? It's simply I was lucky, right? Or whatever you want to call it. But the only reason, Danny, that I'm able to sit here today and continue to do my job and be general manager of a baseball team is because I've let people come into my life and chip away at me and mold me and clip my wings and kick me in the tail when I needed those adjustments. Help mold me and shape me. I have recognized who has earned the right to speak into my life because of the trust, because of their experience, mm -hmm. uh, and allowed them again to come along and help me and, and mold me and shape me. And so that's what we're gonna try to do. We're gonna try to learn from this and move on. <coughs> Where do you go from here? Uh, how much longer are you going to be involved in baseball, do you think? Do you have a desire to, for a couple of decades more, or what's, what's down your path? You know, I can't ever recall a day in my life where I haven't thought or dreamt about the game of baseball. So I don't ever envision losing that passion. I think God has put that in me. Um, but I do view what I do much bigger than baseball, as I said before. Um, I have a, uh, God's put into my heart um, a passion and a desire to uh, come alongside of people who are hurting, people who have uh, perhaps disadvantage. You know, one of the things that 
that I always believed as a young coach, and I still do believe it, but there's a new twist on it. I've always felt that you know, your talent will always find a way. Your talent will always find a way. As long as you're making some good choices so your talent can show up every day. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure that is the complete truth because there are groups, segments of our population that um, need a little more grace, they need a little more help, they need a little more benefit of the doubt uh, because of the hand that they were dealt. Whether it's extreme poverty, whether it's extreme neglect, whether it's prejudice, prejudice, uh, lack of education. I had a 2.2 GPA in high school, okay? I'm sure there's people rolling their eyes all over the world. <laughs> in, my, in my little world growing right. up, like how did this, but it's, it's because I had great mentors in my life, people that poured into me, people that helped me, and, uh, and you know, God has allowed me to do things that... Uh, um, so what does this look like, this <clears throat> for you, of what you want to do? Well, you know, the, the, the main thing I, I want to do is continue to be a, a great husband and great father. Mm -hmm. And that, that's really, really important to me. I, I want to, whenever I breathe my last breath, and if Marianne is there with me, whether she's breathing her last breath or I'm breathing my last breath, I want to be able to look her in the eyes and for her to know that I was faithful to her from the very beginning. That's really important for me, okay? Um, for the legacy of me as a husband and a father. So that's the most important thing. Um, but just use our gifts, um, use our resources, our talents, it all belongs to God anyway. Use it to just help other people. I mean, that's, that's the most important part of of, of what we can do going forward. I'm, I'm excited about the Urban Youth Academy yeah. and to be able to use our foundation, our C in the Major Leagues Foundation, which is not a big foundation, but it's ours. We don't have a lot of influence over it other than mine, and so I can intentionally connect with a family mm. or somebody who's hurting and uh, say, you know what, we're, we're gonna come alongside this person, help them get an education. We're gonna come alongside of this mom and, and help her turn the lights on, keep the lights on at her house. We're gonna make her car payment or we're gonna buy her a car or, you know, so those are the types of things I wanna continue to do. <clears throat> Back to baseball, what's the biggest challenge as far as the team goes right now? Mechanically. Managing our payroll, we, we have to get our payroll back to uh, a manageable level. So in 20 and... What is the total payroll now? Well, right now, right now we're, we're at about 112, um, which is manageable. Mm -hmm. But if we're going to try to sign Eric Hosmer, right. it's not. We probably need to be somewhere between 95 and 100. And then somewhere between 80 and 90 in 2019, similar in 2020, and then put us in a position in 21 and beyond to ramp it back up again. Okay, so we've got to, we've got to get our payroll um, at a level where it's more manageable. And then the other thing we have to do is we got to get our farm system built back to where it was in 2010, 
2011. We're never going to be in a position to win another world championship unless we have a high producing, functioning minor league system. Not only to transition championship caliber players to the major leagues like we did with the Hosmers right. and the Mustakases and the Prezes and the Venturas and the Greg Hollins and the Kelvin Herreras, but we got to be able to use players like Will Myers in a trade like we did to get Shields and and uh, and Wade Davis and and the Zach Grinkies to get Alcides Escobar and Lorenzo Cain. <coughs> so we have to use our farm system to trade for talent at the major league level that's producing and blending in with whatever our current roster looks like. What do you do for fun? <coughs> I coach baseball. That's what I do. <laughs> but don't you have a hobby or anything? You know, um, I enjoy studying leadership. Like books or well, I'm, podcasts? Well, I'm not a great reader. I do yeah. po I'll do podcasts for sure. Um, I, I love studying um, great leaders. Who's the, your favorite well, mentor in leadership? My, Is there you know, my, the, the, the leader I've always been fascinated with, and he, he, he obviously he died before I ever really had a chance, was Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King. King yeah. I mean, he really, I mean, I just think what he did, you know, when he... Um, you know, he, he was uh, a man that really did not um, seek to be an activist, if you will. He was sought after. And, um, and then what he stood for under all the scrutiny, I mean, I, I couldn't even, I can't even imagine, you know, what, what he went through. And so the Holy Spirit, God, it was a God thing all the way with directing his past and, and what he went through. And of course, I didn't grow up during the civil rights era. I was born in 1967, okay? So I have very little reflection of it. But, um, you know, in studying him, uh, you know, I've always just been fascinated, you know, with his leadership style, with his passion, with his relentlessness, with his commitment uh, for, for people and for human rights. And, and uh, so that's, um, but, you know, people that, I mean, I've got, there's a lot of people. I mean, I admired, I admired David Glass um, so much. Uh, he's, uh, he's someone who's very, uh, he, he has a great historical perspective of the game of baseball. I believe he owns a major league baseball for all the right reasons. He truly cares about the fans. He he adores this game. Uh, he allows us to, to do our job. He knows the game well enough where he can uh, validate and substantiate our, our decisions, our opinions, if you will. Um, he's a good evaluator of talent. He knows the game well. He hmm. studies it. Um, you know, he's made me a lot better as a leader. So he's pretty active. He's in very involved. He's very involved. You know, I, I I tell him, and I've told him this before. I wish I wish he would uh, get out there more, do more interviews, uh, because yeah, I saw him at FanFest, and I people, haven't seen yeah, him in years. People could people um, can appreciate him the way we all do. Uh, and, and I think what you what you see uh, in his Walmart days, and what you see as the owner of the of the Royals, or he's the same guy, mm -hmm. but it's it's a is a different mindset, a different personality it comes out when he was with with Walmart and when he was with uh, when he, now he's with the Royals, and at least in the public view, uh, we, you know we see a, a guy who's very engaging. He's funny. Um, he's he knows our kids names he knows what they like to do i mean he's he's a he's a tremendous person mm. 
Dayton, thank you so much for getting comfortable yeah. with Mark Offert. Thanks, Mark. I've enjoyed getting to know you. Likewise, thank you. I'm comfortable talking to Mark Alford. He don't make me feel like I gotta kneel at a dark altar. His colleagues are cool, things are jolly and smooth. Anything else, it'll be part stupid and part awkward. Do your homework before you talk to a vet. That way you won't get no static camera from tech. I'm on my own planet. I'm in my zone, damn it. I see you.